Our guest today is Samantha Moyo. Sam is a vibrating harp string of a human. Uh, in 2013, she founded Morning Gloryville, which is, and this sounds strange, an early morning sober rave. The concept went off like a base bomb and soon city workers, professionals and people of all stripes were kicking off their day with a dance to huge DJs like Fatboy Slim. Joyful, non-rational, transformative experiences are fundamental to being a human. They are fundamental to lifefulness, and Sam Moyo is an expert in them. Once she launched Morning Gloryville, her work was recognised in the How We Gather report from Harvard Divinity School, who saw Morning Gloryville as an important way millennials were finding community in a post-religious world. Today, Sam is a culture change and innovation consultant for major brands and a spreader of wisdom and joy. Uh, in this chat, you'll get a glimpse into the fascinating pan-religious upbringing Sam had in Zimbabwe before we dive into the Morning Gloryville story. There's so much to learn from, you know, how she puts on these transformative experiences to even her experience in creating uh, ethical boards, for instance. Uh, fans of the show will know that there's adult language in the Life on This podcast, and in this episode, it is more than most. At the end, there is a story which most definitely acknowledges the existence of sex. Uh, in the rest of the chat, we sort of discuss questions of gender fluidity, non-binariness, and so much more. Uh, before we get into it, I want to say thanks so much to everyone for downloading, sharing, and reviewing. We love to hear from you. So if you like the podcast, please spread the word. Tell us what excites you. Give us feedback. It is just really wonderful to see these conversations happening and that's why we're doing it. But uh, enough of that. Let's fly into the sky of Sam Moyo. Uh, so welcome to the start of uh, the Life on This uh, podcast. It's me, Sanderson here. And, and James Croft here in America. That is great. And we have an amazing guest today, the wonderful, radiant Sam Moyo. And we are going to be speaking to you about your amazing uh, movement, uh, Morning Gloryville, this sort of, this, uh, I was going to say an orgasm of early morning raves. What Waterfall would have done, but it had such uh, joyousness. And uh, occasionally when I left these early morning raves, I was also quite damp. So maybe that is the perfect word to describe it and I just cannot ah oh, Sam it's so wonderful to have you here uh I'm going to just say one story I've been speaking for a while about when we first met uh there's a couple of maybe a couple is when we went to uh Casper to Kyle previous guest check out the podcast woo, 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 woo. uh he hosted this thing for like community builders who are answering the need for community amongst millennials in new ways and everyone is in a circle at the divinity school in harvard going i started this community because it was really speaking to my knee and everyone's getting really up their own ass and then you were like i just really wanted a place that i could go and dance and have a great time without taking so much acid uh, and I was like, I, lo I love this person. I love her so much. And you got to, everyone had to ring the bell when they finished. And you were like, a ding a ding a ding a ding. And I was like, Sam's <laughs> the best. So welcome. <laughs> welcome. 
Uh, the first question we ask is, please can you tell us about the sort of religious faith or philosophical background that you had when you were growing up? We'll start from yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, hi, Sanderson. Hi, James. I'm so happy to be here. Huge fan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was brought up pan-religious um, in the sense that my parents were actually atheists and my grandparents practiced different forms of um, Christianity. Um, I felt like I just had a freedom of being whatever in terms of religion. Um, but one thing I did do from a very young age is pray. I do consider myself religious, but not of one faith. Um, yeah, actually. Yeah. And so what did that look like growing up? You're the first person who said pan-religious uh, so far. Mm. I thought that you're just really into Le Creuset. Uh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> lame pan joke. The there. way pan religious, so it looked like, you know, sometimes going to a witch doctor and getting involved in a random ritual, you know, it and being down with that. It looked like dancing in the rain, um, you know, praying and singing to the ancestors and um, alternatively going to an actual church, like an Anglican Presbyterian church with one grandmother and being like all English colonial singing <laughs> in Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, and then on the contrary, you know, I remember at funerals, just like all the gospel singing, all the drumming and again, lots of prayer. Um, yeah, that, that's what it looked like. I could, yeah, I could share more stories, but does that give you a good enough picture? I mean, I'm like, uh, I'm intrigued. James, should, are we up for more stories? I'm always up for more stories, especially when they're as fascinating as this. Yeah, so I think for me, um, yeah, I just remember when I was young, my grandmother and her friends having these gatherings. My grandmother had, was one of those Jesus lovers who had a bumper sticker on her car that said, don't forget Jesus. And when her car would break down, when she was turning into something, you know, turning into a road because she'd had the car too, you know, for too many years, she'd just start praying instead of getting the car fixed because she believed so much in Jesus kind of situation. Jesus, <laughs> um, take the wheel. For real. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. Um, I just remember just sometimes being like, shit, we could die. We've just broken down in the middle of the road. And she'd just be like, which means dear God in Kosa, and just like start, you know, praying. And then the car would get, you know, would get going. And then she'd be like, that's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I'd be like, well, you know, can't really, can't really say anything against this, you know, it works. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And then you've got an interesting background. And so you, you're, you're British, you've got sort of a, you've got a soul in many different camps. Uh, yeah, like talk us through like where, what that journey was, which led you to here. Yeah, so I grew up in Zimbabwe until I was about 15. And then, you know, when we were having the land crisis in Zimbabwe, lots of changes happened, started happening economically, hyperinflation. Um, you know, I, I don't want to speak bad about the country, but, you know, resources diminishing very, very quickly. Um, my, I remember my dad 
pulling me aside and saying, hey, you know, your stepmom's moving to England with, the, with your little sisters. So your options are to go to boarding school or to move to England. So what do you want to do? And obviously England, because it always sounded like the land of dreams, <laughs> um, thanks to Hollywood and the BBC News. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I moved to England when I was 15 to the Midlands and went from going to an amazing, like, like the top um, private school in Zimbabwe, living in a massive house and this luxury living, to living on an estate in the Midlands and going to a public school where I'd never seen so many rude kids. Like, we never talked back to teachers in Zimbabwe. Like, if you did, you get whacked. Like, Kids were smoking and, you know, smoking in the class, in, you know, in the toilets. I just remember just a massive culture shock. Um, anyway, um, I, you know, a bit, yeah, I'm getting a bit nostalgic. Anyway, moved to England. <laughs> Tell me when to stop because, you know, I can just keep going. This is um, great. I love it. You moved over here. You saw that the natives were barbaric. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And what was funny was apparently there was this whole big announcement to the whole school that the first black person was coming all the way from Zimbabwe to the school. So everyone had to be really behaved and, you know, like be really kind to me and all that. So a really embarrassing way to enter, first of all. And because I'm coming from Zimbabwe, everyone assumed that I couldn't speak English. So it was just like loads of like just inappropriate like jokes and yeah, jokes and like people being like, oh, you speak English. Oh, you lived in a house. Wow. Like, you know, um, yeah. But I did play to it sometimes. Like I have these jabs on my right arm. And I remember someone asking me what were, you know, what's on your arm? And I said, a snake bought me, a bit me, you know, just, just to sound really cool and hard. Um, yeah. And, and like, if anyone like messed with me or said something, I would like do like an African curse on them. Like, and like speak in Zulu or Shona or something like that. And they'd really freak out. So <laughs> Yeah, so it kind of, it worked with me. No one messed with me. I was quite popular. And yeah, the, the, yeah, the African gods and the ancestors were with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that is great. I might ask you yeah. to curse me at the end of this. Uh, the, uh, and so what we do at the top is we have got these six questions, which are the six parts of lifefulness. And I'm going to try to encourage you to do them more like a speed round, because often people... This is, we're so interested in it, people go, ooh, talk about them, and it's almost the podcast over. So uh, the six parts, James will take them all turn. James and I will see if we can do them alternately. The first part is ultimate meaning, divinity, whatever you want to call it. What is your sort of uh, ultimate meaning in your life? Oh, the ultimate meaning in my life, I don't really understand that question. Well, like, what's your divinity? What's your, what's what's my your spirituality? What's your God? Whatever it might be. We have to use the word ultimate meaning because we get a lot of non-religious people on. So we're trying to give I, them something to do. I really am pan-religious. Like at the moment, I'm reading the Quran. And I also obviously have read the Bhagavad Gita and I've also read the Bible. Um, like for me, God is in everything and everyone. And um like across many different texts um yeah that's my take on divinity and that's how i like to live my life that is great i've just realized how unfair it is to say what's your ultimate meaning but it's a speed round 
Uh, yeah, I just James. I was thinking that. I was like, oh, that's a harsh question. James, you do the next one. The next one is celebration, something that must be close to your heart. So where do you find celebration in your life? What does that mean to you? And it's the idea of secular worship. Like, what's your worship that you have in your life? Oh, my worship and reverence is nature, babe. Like, you know, when I'm with trees, when I'm in, when I'm going for walks on Dartmoor, when I'm going into the ocean, I just feel such reverence for God and oh, life, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to, we haven't yet started putting these up online, but we're just going to do it mostly so that when I ask these questions, everyone can just see Sam, like getting into some sort of state as she's just like, oh, trees. <laughs> I need to be amongst the leaves. Uh, my, my chlorophyllic I am pals. The leaves. I am the <laughs> you leaves. are the leaves, Sam. I can't believe that we didn't notice this earlier. And community. <laughs> Where's your community life? Oh, my community life is online at the moment. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so my community is in dance. My community is in my sharing circles that I go to community is in yeah having a family business at the moment and all the projects that i'm working on yeah that is great next mm. one for you james what about personal growth how do you grow and expand in your powers how do i grow and expand in my powers oh that's a really deep question man like how do you answer that I guess I let myself feel everything every single day and I listen to my heart um, for direction. And again, prayer is such a big part of all the decisions I make. I feel like um, the feeling of something greater than me helps me um, constantly grow and evolve and be willing to learn from mistakes and you know, challenges and things as well. Mm, more powerful moyo more more moyo moyo uh, and moyo. then and then uh the next one is uh serving others how do you serve others oh babe i'm serving you right now <laughs> i feel That's really served true. served and heard <laughs> um that was my answer i'm serving all of you with my loving voice with opening you all into my life story and work. Yeah, best way to explain. Mm -hmm. And finally, changing the world. What's your vision for the world and how do you seek to change it? Oh, ah. um, my vision for the world is one that realizes we're more alike than different. The way I seek to change it and am, you know, changing it is through creating multiple projects across different mediums that are all pointing us to our interconnectedness so um, reminding people of our relationship that we are you know we're the same as plants we're the same as animals we're the same as the stars and the earth that we walk on so um, and obviously as each other so interconnectedness and commonalities is my biggest mission for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. You're so good at this. That's Amazing. I think posting it as a speed round is a good thing because we've we've dealt we've dealt with a lot. I mean, uh, we could probably stop the <laughs> podcast there. That's how good it is. <laughs> uh, 
And the, yeah, and what we'd, I'd love to start off with is just you uh, talking to us about Morning Gloryville, because it has been this amazing phenomenon, which has, I've been to it uh, many a time, love it. It's an early morning rave. And just, I remember speaking to James about it and he, he was just like, I don't, there seems to be so many new things going on there. So just start from the top like what is Morning Gloryville and uh, how did it get made? Yeah, so I think, I don't know if it is an early morning rave anymore. Um, I sold it um, a couple of years ago, remember? Um, yeah. yeah, so I think the concept has changed slightly, but I will tell you about the original concept and there the original energy and the movement that was yeah. created from it. So um, Morning Gloryville was a, an early morning dance party that started at 6 until 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, the idea was really to get city workers, hippies and burners in one space, raving their way into the day with no alcohol. Um, yeah, to DJs like Fatboy Slim, Basement Jack and Roger Sanchez. And yeah, we started with like 26 people on the first event and then like um, went to like 800 people a month, basically waking up to rave their way into the day. Um, six months later, um, we were in 23 cities around the world because everyone loved it so much. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think for me, it was a life-changing experience because I went from being Captain Hello Titties um, you know, putting on loads yeah, of... If you have to explain what that nickname is, I know why you got the nickname. Uh, <laughs> explain to other people. Okay, well, basically, I was at Seco Garden Party one, one year and someone came up to me and said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you know, there's a nickname for you around the festival. I was like, what? Me? A nickname? Oh my God, I'm famous in the festival. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we call you Elo Titties. And I was like, oh my God, they call me Elo Titties. And the reason was because obviously I was always walking around topless, tits out, smiling and just being like hey to people <laughs> um, i am the tits i am the i am the tits, the tits. <laughs> the we are all titty leaves exactly um but captain hello titties um became a bit of a household name because then i started putting on underground parties where people didn't actually know it was me like captain hello titties was her own entity um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, it was because Captain Hello Titties partied so much, took so many drugs, and just literally like was living a highly unsustainable life that Morning Gloryville had to be the next thing. Um, it was like, what can we do to sober up that's not boring, like AA or like fucking therapy? Um, and <laughs> um, and it was like, okay, let's throw a sober party. But oh yeah, what what? But when can we all do it that we're not going to turn up and take loads of MDMA? Six a.m. Six a.m. Six a.m. on a Wednesday morning, not a Thursday morning, because then you're ready to party again. Not a Friday morning, because you might have gone out on Thursday back in the day. Um, and definitely not Monday and Tuesday because you're recovering from the weekend. So, yeah, that's that bit. <laughs> um, it's totally fascinating to me how your thought process was, seems, sounds very pragmatic. It's like, when can we do this when people will actually come and not be totally messed up? 
and won't mess up their week. Oh, Wednesday morning. And that's, that's so interesting, this, this kind of spiritual community innovation, which seems like wild, has a very pragmatic foundation, which is like we have to put it at the time which will serve people best. Yeah, there was actually a lot of thinking around it. You know, I had been in immersive experiences for a number of years and, um, you know, even coming up with the name Morning Gloryville, we wanted it to sound a bit naughty and fun, you know. Um, we chose for it to be at Village Underground right in the middle of, you know, um, East London. So it was in a cool venue. All our DJs were cool. And, you know, it was just like, how can we make this alluring for people. Um, the, I think a lot of the innovations that happened, are, you know, now seem quite normal, but having people hug you at the entrance instead of security, that was like completely evolutional. Having smoothies and juices and like all alcohol labels in a club completely covered, that was completely alien. Having people dancing on the stage and you being allowed on the stage and in front of the DJs, rather than it being about the DJs, was as, you know was also an evolution. We really looked at, you know, what is nightlife like? What is clubbing like? What what don't we like about it? And how do we change it through this? As well as the really key piece of you know not having alcohol. Yeah, and also just like giving people the freedom to wear what they want because. Actually, for the first event, we didn't, there, there was never, for the first few, there wasn't ever any dress code. Um, you know, we'd just turn up in pajamas and then it was actually the audience, like we'd have like people from Facebook or Google coming in the tutus, like all the gay guys or like whatever. And it, it kind of like the, the spirit of Morning Gloryville grew because people felt comfortable in the space. They felt they could turn up however they wanted to turn up and we'd be fine with it, you know? So I think that's really what made it a movement. It was the way we held space for you to be you, whatever that meant. And the alcohol piece was a byproduct, you know? So, um, yeah, kind of thing. There's so much to unpack there, but one thing that really sticks out to me is that I think that many people might assume you created something that has, I'm looking at these photos, I've never been able to go to one now, I desperately want to, but these are amazingly dressed people having a lot of fun, it's clearly like a kind of wild energetic experience, and I think sometimes people might assume that therefore it's kind of just thrown together and just kind of happen organically, but actually what you're telling us is that you put a lot of thought into how to structure this, that it was designed and that you really worked hard on it, and I think that's important for people to know. Yeah, and yeah, thank you for noticing that, <laughs> because yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I guess when you I always dress quite colourfully and I'd normally have glitter all over my face as well. So it's really easy for people to um, project ideas of what you are um, outside of that. But, you know, even right down to the fact that we thought about the space and how to increase the vibrations, you know, so we'd have crystal grids within the space with like crystals to charge up the area so that people would so that the building itself was like held by some sort of um, sacred stones because we're in the middle of the city. We'd ask all our DJs, you know, please make sure that the music you're playing has positive words in it. Like, you know, we, that's what we want in the mornings. We don't want like, I'm gonna kill you. 
um, kind of stuff, you know. Oh, okay, maybe once in a while. Um, I think for, I, I th I think for, for, for when President Trump went um, into power, that was a bit more of a gangster morning glory, but I was like really angry <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I remember that 2016 actually. Um, and 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 you know a really key thing and i you know i say this to some of the brands i work with is like we uh, like with morning gloryville and that experience i would always brief the team and say the one thing i want is for every single person who walks into this room to feel really special and so if anyone looks like they're on their own or anything like that go up to them say hello like you know, the main thing is everyone feels like, oh, there's, they are loved and they're really important in this space, whoever they are. The, the, I, I, there's one other question I want to get into later about like yeah. that translation between your personality and how you hold space and how it all sort of like it stems from you, like that sort of thing which is created. But the uh, another thing from like you got, like Morning Gloryville ended up getting recognized as something which was, you know, more than a rave. You were creating something which was like a sacred space. You were sort of doing sort of work which would be sort of counted as spiritual. People who might not use those words would certainly have like transcendental experiences, ecstatic experiences. So like, what is the, like what's the benefit for people if someone's just thinking, oh God, I've got no idea why on earth I'd want that. Like what's the transformation you saw either in the event itself or from people who, like turned up regularly? Yeah, um, a lot of people who turned up regularly stopped drinking and taking drugs, you know. Um, I obviously went teetotal for a few few years whilst running Morning Glory Ball, something as Captain Hello Titty, I would never expect <laughs> was possible, you know. <laughs> um, so going from you know, Hello Titties to Sobering Up, it really was Morning Gloryville mm. and the dancing and the sense of community. But um, I really saw, I don't know, I just saw more love in London in general and like, like city workers coming and like getting all dressed up and then going to like be a banker after and like coming back month after month and being like, you know what thank you so much mm. you know even when i have a board meeting i'll always do this because like this is like my fucking church thank you and like seeing that there was a place where people in the city felt they could come to and felt safe to really fucking just be a little bit weird you know um weird in a good way um hello pussy uh that a cat has just come <laughs> onto the screen uh it's we're not saying Captain Pussy, which is, well, I mean, that's an alter ego, which comes that's out a lot, later, a lot later at night. Yeah, there's something, because I've, uh, you know, I, I've been in meetings after a, a morning Gloryville, and I will just be, and then I'll just sort of see I've got like, uh, having a big beard, and there being a lot of glitter around. There's like glitter, which just goes and sticks with you. And that was whilst doing Sunday Assembly, often really stressed, is there is this like, reconnection with a part of you which is is often really easy to like not feel in touch with playful joyous uh sort of big big expansive uh 
uh, yeah, and and that's what yeah, and it it was you you would just feel as though somehow you've a uh, great phrase I heard from uh, you, you're cheating at life. You're like, oh my god, it's yeah, yeah. nine thirty. Yeah. Being on the tube and seeing someone else who you thought also looked a bit like a bit more glittery <laughs> than normal, and being like, uh, hello, uh, yeah, yeah. I I remember like this one CEO like saying to me my team after your raves like come in late and it's a little bit annoying but they're so happy for the whole day that I can't do it like it's you know I can't do anything about it he'd rather they came in late were really happy um because it just like infects the rest of the team apparently mm. so so I remember that being the thing oh and someone saying like for every one person who came to Morning Glory Bowl and left with their, that glow, they affected at least 10 other people with their smile or glitter or just curious look, yeah. I was gonna say glitter gets everywhere. You can't get rid of it. I mean, it spreads all over once you put it on you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We used to give people doctor's notes when they were running late as well. Um, with with with, a, with unicorn stamps on them, um, so they wouldn't get into trouble. <laughs> and then what? Uh, I mean, so you you did you sort of started a party, but then by its nature, it really turned into something which was a community. Like so many of the people that I speak to in this work, and we've had a number on the podcast, you know, they become accidental community builders. And that can be, it's an amazing gift to find out that you're suddenly stumbling into it, but there's also lots of things that you're like, oh, if only I had known that. So that's this question, like, you know, four years into Morning Glory Bill, what would you wish you would have known at the start? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing was that I was the single director of what became a global movement. And I was, the head, like the face of the brand, as well as the head of ops as well. So I really wish from the get-go, I'd brought someone in who was much, who was more operational minded, because then I think we would have, yeah, I feel like I would have had less to carry, basically. Mm. Um, that's one thing. Um, the second thing was, I really didn't, I think I underestimated the need for HR in a company. <laughs> um, especially when you're building like a loving community where everyone's all peace and love and hugs and mm. stuff. Because, you know, I just remember like, it's hard to fucking, it's hard to rein in loads of hippies. And it's really hard to, I just remember it being like, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't separate the fact that these people were my friends and people I raved with, as well as people at, like within the company, as well as people I worked with. Um, mm -hmm. And that I feel like I wish I had HR to deal with some of the people management stuff. How great is Sam Moyo? She's pretty much the best. The only reason that I would stop you from listening to her is to talk about the work that we do with the Lifefulness Project because 
Obviously, the reason that we're passionate about these ideas is that we want to see them come to reality in the world. So we do that in companies, we do that in communities. And so if you are sort of maybe have you've gone remote recently, maybe your team is distributed and you're thinking of ways to create community and connection and trying to get that feeling of closeness which has disappeared for lots of people, then uh, go onto the website lifefulness.io forward slash work and then you can go and get in touch with us because that's what we do. We uh, help people to create that feeling of community even when we're apart. So go to lifefulness.io this.io forward slash work and uh, we'd love to hear from you but we'd also love to have a little more Sam Moyo here she is yeah I think that points to as well like that sense of person of like community agreements of like mm. the, the the part like everyone sort of everyone wants to have community but actually the parts which are like what like what do we do like what's expected like uh, we love a place where we can hug people. Okay, what are the hugging protocols when someone wants to hug you and, you know, you don't, like it's often, I think at Burning Man, they're quite good at that, like really sort of getting into these different types of consent. But I think it can be like the rights, but also the responsibilities which are involved. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember something in our third year really helping was like going off and writing um into like internal policies and like um yeah just really boring um process and procedure stuff for inside the company because actually how you run the company and how you run the event are totally different um like mm. it's not totally different there's some core values but actually um yeah it's a little bit different in terms of approach day to day you know yeah so so that, yeah, knowing that difference from the outset, definitely funding it better if I knew it was going to grow. <laughs> definitely, I think to have done that with £30,000, oh my fucking God, like, you know, reaching like 3.8 billion people and, or, you know, 3,000 press features and 200,000 people in 18 months, like fucking hell with 30,000. How the fuck did I do that, Sanderson? Uh, yeah, <laughs> having done the same thing with Sunday Assembly, it is, uh, <laughs> it speaks to a number of those things. So I think, you know, a really key thing now is um, building um, communities and movements with funding because it just puts less pressure on the team it puts less less pressure on the management and um there's just more harmony and space um uh, you know i think you know as a as a leader um you know one of the things that i really did feel was this like financial pressure that a lot mm. of movement leaders had and you know how that impacted my day-to-day -day whilst having to be the main motivator. Um, yeah, is something that took about a year to recover from after selling the business. Mm -hmm. I have a very selfish question in a way, but I think a lot yeah. of people who work in established institutions, businesses, nonprofits, et cetera, will be interested in it, which is that you created Morning Gloryville out of what sounds like a pretty clear vision of what you wanted. Although some of it organically evolved when you were doing it, you created it from the ground up. And 
I lead a community that has existed for like 150 years. So although I'm the leader of it and I have a vision about how I want it to be, I also have to work within an existing structure and a history and a tradition. And I'm sure that many people who work in companies and, and charities and stuff also have this feeling. You can't just create what you want and make it happen because there's all sorts of stuff already there. And so I'm wondering if you have an idea about how to infuse that sense of coherent mission, that energy you get from having a really clear idea about what you want into an existing structure when you can't, because it's something that I struggle about. When I heard you talk about how you wanted everyone at Morning Gloryville to feel welcome and loved, right? So you hugged everyone when they came in. That was an ethos of the whole thing. I want that ethos in my congregation, but it's really hard when when people have, oh, well, this is how we do ushering. This is how we do greeting. We've done it for 50 years like this. I can't just tell people, well, we're going to do it differently tomorrow, or at least I feel like I can't. Do you, does that question make any sense? Yeah, it, it does. It feels like um, you want change and everyone else isn't ready. <laughs> Sometimes it feels a bit like that. Um, so there's something called the League of Entrepreneurs. Um, and yeah, which I think would be really interesting for you to look up, basically. They sound like um, superheroes. It, it does, but basically it is a group of people who work in companies, a lot of established companies who do want things to be different within their company. And they, through the League of Entrepreneurs, they learn how to go about that. Um, I think within, you know, in your case, within an existing company, I, I don't know, what would I do? Well, I do know what I do because I also do do that. Um, fire them, James. Fire your community. Uh, no, no, no. Now. no, no, no. Sorry, bad advice. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I think it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up the getting, uh, the redundancy papers that I was just drafting. Okay. A lot of the issues with institutions that have been going for so long is the way they structure their boards and management is the same as they've been for hundreds of years. And so the first thing I say when a company wants culture change or innovation is who is on your management team? What does that look like? Who's on your board? What's the DNA? Most of the time, it's going to be white males or mostly white people. I always say to people, let's make space for different type of people, a more diverse group, because then that starts to change the culture of the organization on a systemic level. So I think that's one key step. Um, secondly, I don't know who are the front-facing people of the organization. Again, starting to change that up. If it's you, then I would bring in someone else. You know, we need, like I was speaking to a famous musician today and he was like, oh, you know, I want to do things differently. And, you know, he was like, I've written this song. And I was like, dude, you know, you don't want to do things differently and you write the song go out and find someone different and then you write the song together the new song together that's the way forward that's going to create a different sound you know so it's, it's the same with your community if you are wanting things to change it starts top down systemically and the hard thing that people have is the fact that like power control would have to be like let go off <laughs> a little bit to let someone in um but i think like if we really mean change and want change like 
yeah, just open your heart, let someone in and fucking, yeah, do it together, redo it together, you know? Mm -hmm. I think my yeah. advice of firing everyone is uh, <laughs> like, see the people you don't want, James, short <laughs> instruction. Uh, the <laughs> and I do like that one. Do fire everyone, <laughs> including yourself. That's it. It's all over for the St. Louis Ethical start Society. Start with yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, the, so this is just slightly circling back. Was I thought it'd be quite good to hear actually about some of those because we've spoken about it in the past of some of the difficult times you know, during Morning Gloryville, when there were sort of financial pressures and community pressures, because I think there's often people go and say, I really want to do meaningful work. And the problem is, if you're doing meaningful work, then it really means something, it really matters. And so if like, if it's difficult, it's not just difficult, like you can shut the door, it's difficult, like right down to the heart of who you are. So I just was wondering if you could just share like what that was like, and sort of what you learned from it. Babe, okay, I can list those ones. Um, no, um, so difficult times, um, difficult times. Having to fire a friend that was so so hard. That like not cool because it is a community, um, and so making tough decisions like that were really hard. Um, yeah, I I just cringe at the thought of that. Basically, um, difficult times. Um, why can't I think of any right now? Like, will you edit yeah. this? Yeah, 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 it's right. fine. Me, we can me, go and we can come oh, back oh, to that question if you want. No, there were the thing is there were difficult times, but it's like I've blocked them out. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there were, I think it's because a lot of the, but it probably would be good. Oh, investors. <laughs> no, <I'm d> mm. <laughs> um, okay, so a really big challenge I had was that I did after we'd grown and become this global movement, bring in some investors on board who are like quite big in tech. Um, and I think I was of the mindset of like white male savior um, and brought in four white men into the company to invest. Um, and what I didn't realize is um, one of them fancied my right-hand woman um, and um, yeah uh, uh, the, their intention was much more let's turn this into a tech fucking enterprise like we've got live experience gold let's fucking augment reality the shit out of this turn it into a box and put it in everyone's house and you know today with the pandemic i would so be like yes let's do that but then you know morning gloryville was about connection it was about touch it was about being together in one space um and i just remember the realization that i went with investors because they were superstars rather than doing my due diligence of are they aligned with my values and with the company's mission basically i wanted to dig a little bit into the sober aspect of morning gloryville i didn't start drinking at all till i was about 34 i never i decided when i was 18 I read a <laughs> no i know come on mate i, I read a magazine Super cool. on a have a cigarette live a little i didn't have a cigarette i've never had a cigarette 
I once smoked You've a little bit of pot. You've never had a cigarette, I never. I've never had a cigarette <laughs> either. That is amongst my, like, going out and having a pretty good time. I'll be sort of, oh. it'll be very late in the morning of, in my youth. And I'd be like, I've never had a puff on the cigarette. It's like, well, mate, you've really sort of uh, done everything else uh, <laughs> going on. <laughs> Sorry, James. Uh, Carry my on first on experience of, of pot was on a, a gay nude beach and another man breathed it into my mouth. It was very erotic. Oh, I enjoyed that. Mm. That's basically my only experience of it until now. It was very good. But I, I am very boring in that way. Um, and, but I did start drinking on vacation. So I was like, oh, I'll try that. That, looks, that hurricane looks fun. I'll try it. Now I really like it. But I've never... <laughs> Um, yeah, I know, especially during COVID, I probably shouldn't have started. Um, but the, I'm wondering about the ethos of it. I suppose part of it was it was in the morning before work, so people couldn't go to work having drunk a lot of alcohol or taken a lot of drugs. But it sounds like also there's a broader ethos than that. So I'm wondering if you could talk about the sober aspect of it. Yeah, so, you know, the main thing was um, actually challenging our daily rhythms. Like, why not, instead of waking up and fucking going straight to work and being on a tube full of in a sardine scenario, why not wake up and dance before everything else starts? Mm, like, I yes. reclaim day, like, be with people you love before fucking going and slogging it. Um, so that was a really big thing and then the sobriety aspect obviously was core because the point was we wanted to stop drinking and taking loads of drugs <laughs> and so and so you know that was paramount you know that we always said we're not anti-drink or anti-drugs but just for four hours you know once a month we just want to practice dancing and socializing without all of that stuff and I think it was that phrasing that actually made it easier for everyone because it wasn't like this is an you know it wasn't like an AA rave or something you know it's like we're not it's not wrong for you to be the way you are but just for these four hours let's try something different you know right I I think that's very interesting because I think people could get a sense that it is like a statement about like an AA like statement, but it sounds like it's more like, no, just for this moment, refrain from that. We're not making a judgment. We're not saying this is the way to be in life. This is just a space set aside from that. And that to me makes it even more welcoming the non-judgmental aspect of it. I also think there's something you said, this word practice to help you practice. I remember the first time, I did dry January uh, when my sister made quite a chippy comment about me. And I was like, sure, I won't drink. Uh, then, uh, so I did it for, I've done it for about 15 years. And the first time that I did it, you'd go into a room and you'd be at like at a sort of party time or like people would be out. And, and, and that word practice, it just felt so weird. Like, how can I, how can I be with people? How can I dance? How can I do this thing? Like this, like I should be uh, in a slightly altered state. The sort of voices should be changed a bit. Uh, I mean, you are a really, like you are into, if it, if it heals you, uh, if it's healy, uh, if it's spiritually, if you can dangle it around your neck and it's got a feather on it, you're into it. That's maybe, uh, maybe too broad a categorization. What did not drinking sort of go and teach you about who you were and your sort of like psychological 
makeup? Like how did not having the booze let you go and be different? I didn't realize how much I drank because I was nervous <laughs> um, was one thing because I had social anxiety and drinking was what helped me get my Dutch courage. I didn't realize, I think I, I didn't, I'd never really had that. I mean, when I was in a relationship, obviously I did, but I never really initiated, you know, snogging or sexting with someone sober like that was like a whole new experience you know um and actually learning to make love sober and you know be like to someone hey i like you sober was like a whole new ball game you know driving um, sober yeah driving, <laughs> that's totally driving yeah. sober <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so I, yeah, I just learned a lot um, about <laughs> socializing um, and interacting with other humans um, in a, yeah, um, with confidence. The other thing I realized... By the way, was, what did that make you feel when, when you were, you know, Captain Titties, uh, and then you realized that you've got social anxiety? Like, what did that realize? What did that make you, how did that feel when you clicked? Well, luckily it clicked during Morning Gloryville, <laughs> you know, when I had lots of people around and uh, friends, but it just, yeah, it, you know, so I didn't feel like down on myself or anything. It was just like, oh, that's why I've been doing this. I don't have mm. to do that anymore. Um, and suddenly I just, I don't know, I just remember feeling more confident in myself, actually um yeah just the way i held myself and more confident to be around drunk people sober and like not feel any pressure and be strong in myself that was the big thing like seeing seeing myself not get swayed when all my like uni friends were getting fucked basically you know mm. Mm. that that is interesting and that resonates with me a lot because i spent many years being the sober friend the one person who would take everyone home or to make sure everyone was okay but also learning how i am a quite outgoing person but i also have my own anxieties and self sense of you know self-consciousness and learning how to be very social without drinking or doing drugs or anything for the first 35 years of my life almost was i feel like that was a really good thing to learn mm. and 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 so i kind of hear what you're saying about how it can be it's a whole different social environment you're navigating i really feel it when i've had my one drink uh that is enough to set me off of course because <laughs> i have no, no tolerance i'm like wow i'm a different person now you thought james was loud before let's go <laughs> the wild man of st louis <laughs> <laughs> Captain Titties, yep. Mark Two. Absolutely, I am the leaves. Uh, yeah, amazing. The second, you're the second coming. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you're the second coming of Captain Titties. Yes, welcome, James. <laughs> One thing um, that I want to speak to you about, because at the start of this, I asked you uh, what pronouns I should use. Uh, and so, and then you said that would be an interesting thing to talk about. So I thought we could talk about it. So, uh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So I'm really excited because I've pretty much been every type of sexuality and more recently 
like every gender. I was a woman and preferred her um, for most of my life. And then a couple of years ago, started feeling like I wanted to be non-binary. So in, in March, I decided to become officially non-binary. Whilst I was non-binary, I managed to, after a few years, get myself into a men's circle, which was like fucking so hard, getting yourself into a men's circle these days. God. Such you know. a nightmare. Such a nightmare. God. Oh, my God. I was like, don't you get it? You know, I might have tits, but I'm a man. I've got a penis. You just can't see it. Anyway, so I did finally get into a men's circle, and it helped me work through some of the masculine things that I felt like I hadn't had a chance to talk about, to share about throughout my life. Um, and it's been incredibly healing. And then all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, I've been like, oh, I feel comfortable being a woman again. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm now a woman and I'm really happy being a woman. I haven't told everyone because I thought it might confuse everyone a bit, but now you know, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, yeah, but what's really beautiful now is that I'm choosing to be a woman, not because society has told me I'm a woman. I've experienced what it is to be gender fluid, to be genderless and to reject all of that, to work through the man side of me and be comfortable in men's circles and and comfortable to be like dude like don't look at me because of the way my body's formed and then i'm now on another track where i'm like ah oh, actually oh I'm, I'm actually happy to be a woman and i'm not bothered anymore and it might change again but it feels really i don't know something feels I feel like I'm in my sovereignty with it because it's not like, you know, I was just given a birth certificate and like, that's what you are. Um, yeah, I'm grateful to my spirit for challenging it and then making a choice. What was that process like when you first, like, is it something that you'd felt for a long time that you thought uh, the the gender of being a woman didn't quite fit you? Like, just talk people, because I'm sure for a lot of people it'll be the first time they've heard someone talking about uh, this sort of journey. So yeah, like. Yeah, well, from when I was young, I always wanted to be a boy, basically. And I couldn't understand why I had to do all these girl things and wear these dresses when I went to church and like with my granny. And I just, I, yeah, I just never felt right. And I, I think I would have probably done a bit of both, but I didn't like the fact that I was being molded into a certain category um, when I actually loved, some, you know, mountain biking, bows and arrows. I loved, like, I just love my body wanted to do a certain type of activity, and those things were seen as boy activities. You know, I liked, I liked shape, like, I liked pretending to shave, like my dad. You know, I liked skateboarding and sports so yeah so from a young age and then um yeah I remember in my teens something just happened maybe I started feeling like um the influence of like Valentine's Day yeah fucking Valentine's Day that's it yeah fucking pressures of Valentine's Day 
then you have to fucking get a rose from a boy, don't you? Mm. And and then all that sort of pressure. So yeah, because then I remember when I was about 11, 12, then starting to get really girly. But I think it's because I just wanted a boyfriend because it was like societal thing that you do, you know? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so coming back to the gender stuff. Um, yeah, in the last... I guess two years ago or yeah, two years ago, I went to a sex party in Thailand and at the sex party, I met these two women and we, I, I was on my period and I was like, oh, I, I didn't really feel like taking my clothes off. Um, and they're like, it's fine. We welcome your period and all that, you know. And then, um, yeah, we just had an experience where my energetic penis came out like really strongly and suddenly I was making love with two women with a, what felt like a real penis coming out of my loins going into them um but quite um yeah just all energy like not visible but we could all feel it and it was like hours and hours of like orgasm and just being like what the fuck's happening and that it was after that that I was just like fuck this whole gender sexuality thing has been keeping me us in a box like of what we're capable of as humans sexually and from that moment I've been able to work with this energetic penis with other people and they feel it like and so that's when I was just like I don't like that I have to tick the girl box like it's not quite right you know um but then because I'd found this energetic penis I'd felt uncomfortable when it felt erect to talk about it in women's circles like because I didn't want to scare anyone um and so that's why I was trying to get into a men's circle for so long can you hold on one second? I'm just going to shut the door because lot, I had yeah. to, I had to, my wife, my, my wife literally just arrived at the door with my son. And I was like, I can't leave during this story, which has so got so much going on to it. Hold on one second. Uh, the, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel that uh, we've come to the end of the conversation we'll with, with like on the thing, which we should have had at the start, because all I want to do is talk about your energetic penis. No, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, no, okay. Uh -huh. You've done enough. You've done enough here. Uh, the but Sam, uh, I I love you. You're great. Mm. This is wonderful. Uh, what would be if people want to go and get maximum moyo, uh, moyo, uh, mo moyo? I don't know. I'm still trying to get this mo mo money mo problems sort of joke off the ground, but it's not really not really landing. Uh, yeah, where can people find you and sort of what are you doing now? Yeah, please sign up to my newsletter, Moyo Magic. Um, it's a weekly journal where I'm sharing insights from the underground. Um, I'm working on four pilots that will be launching in 2021. Um, yeah, just sign up to my newsletter on www.samanthamoyo.co.uk. Um, and obviously I'm on Instagram at Moyo underscore Samantha. That is great. And so I've just started doing this thing where I leave people with a blessing. I don't know if it's going to stay in. I don't know if it's going to leave. But Sam, I would like to bless you with really all that you deserve from the universe. 
you are the leaves, you are the tree, you are an effervescent smile, you are connected to everything and everyone and the interrelatedness you throw out into the universe, your big open soul welcomes everyone in and I'm just so glad that you keep on doing it, keep on shining, keep on growing, keep on just doing the things which only you can do. It is such a blessing to me to know you and just go and rain, rain your wonderful healing rain and <laughs> dancing it yourself. You're fantastic, you're amazing. Watch the video just to get these visuals which are going on. Thank you everyone so much for listening. You're all great. Sam, you're the best. James is gone, so we can slag him off now. Uh, uh, right then. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Lots of love. Love you. So at the end of every conversation that is on the Life on This podcast, there's always just a bit of a reflection on it. And yeah, I suddenly felt with that one that uh, maybe we should have led with the end of the podcast. Not that the start of it wasn't good, but uh, we'll just have to get Sam on to talk about that more. It is so wonderful to hear someone who's so candid, so open to talk about things which are complex in a way which is easy to understand. And uh, yeah, just so forthright about it. Uh, she is a remarkable person. So uh, what is going on in the Life on This Project this week? Excitingly, we are launching the first small groups today. We're starting off with one, and that is really cool. We've got people from all over the world joining, and we're running these pilots from now until Christmas. And then for the new year, we've got this really... We were going to do small groups, but then we've decided to sort of turn it into more of a course to go and kickstart your year. So it will be all about community, but there's going to be specific content, which is about, you know, how you can go and plan your 2021. So it's so weird when you're just talking about this. stuff. I mean, this is why we're doing it. It's just what a time we're living in. Like what does planning 2021 mean? There's so much uncertainty. You're probably not meant to get into sort of ruminations like this whilst in the middle of talking about something very exciting. But it's, yeah, it's so strange. I was speaking to James uh, earlier this week and uh, he had to do some planning around what happens if we can't live together ever again. Like what happens if, you know, those pictures you might see of Glastonbury or a f concert or, you know, a sort of march or any other huge gathering of humans that like maybe in 10 years time that looks as alien as like hearing about sort of bathhouses in San Francisco in the 80s how when AIDS came along then suddenly a whole sort of culture of free love and sex just evaporated and like oh. I don't know if this is great uh, sort of promo of uh, what we're doing but uh yeah, I'm hoping this doesn't sort of uh, it doesn't come across as a promo, but there we have it. So, anywho, <laughs> enough of the uh, slightly maudlin uh, contemplating of the uncertain future. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing a course which is all about uh, sort of how you know how anyone can go and thrive in this world. So, anyway, that's coming down the pipeline. So yeah, that's what's happening in the Life on This Project. That's what's happening in our community. Thanks again for listening. Uh, as ever, if you want to connect, please go and find us on Instagram at The Lifefulness Project. Also go and find us on Facebook at The Lifefulness Project and on Twitter, which we should start using more at 
the Lifefulness Project. So that's P-R-J-T. And uh, yeah, there are lots of people who help to make this podcast happen. I want to give a shout out to James Croft. Find him at, at Croft Speaks. Uh, you could also follow me at Sanderson Jones. A uh, shout out to our producer, Mavs Shetty, Will Andrews for the artwork, and also to Roman Rapak and Miro Shot for the music, which you are listening to right now. <laughs>